0: Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today we are resuming our study in the Acts of the Apostles, and we're ready for chapter 21. Now, if you remember last week, uh, at the end, Paul was getting ready to travel to Jerusalem, but... The Holy Spirit was telling him that what awaits him there is basically bondage and persecution. That's going to be further made, that point's going to be further made here in chapter 21. Uh, He has an encounter with these four daughters who are prophetesses. Uh, They're the daughters of Philip the Evangelist. And they tell him the same thing. And the, pleep and the people are begging and pleading for him not to go. But Paul says, I'm willing to die for the gospel. And this is where I'm supposed to go. And so that's kind of the main theme of what's going on uh, in chapter 21. There'll be a couple other little interesting uh, nuggets of information that will break down a little bit. Uh, one of those being that Paul is again accused of... Uh, wrongly accused by the Judaizers uh, that he's trying to get the Jews to abandon their heritage, which isn't true, and so we have uh, one of those debates going on again, Uh, similar to Acts chapter 15. Uh, We'll address that once we get to it. So without further delay, let's dig in and see what the scriptures have to say for us this morning. Let's begin. Acts Chapter 21 When we had parted from them, and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And when our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey while they all, with the wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another, then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyree, we arrived at Polemos, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day, and on the next day we left and came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Uh, Please note, this Philip is the only one in the Bible called an evangelist, which is interesting. Uh, Now, Paul does tell Timothy to be an evangelist, uh, but as far as the scriptures calling a person an evangelist, giving them credit for being something, uh, Philip is the only one uh, who's accredited with that title. He's an evangelist. Uh, he's also one of the seven. What is he talking about when he says one of the seven? Again, we just have to go back to what we've already read. If we go back to Acts chapter 6, the disciples are trying to basically, this church is just beginning in Acts chapter 6, if you remember, and they the disciples say, we don't have time to be doing all this work. We need to be focused on the word of God. So we need to get seven people to take care of kind of this other stuff. So if you go to Acts chapter 6 verses 2 and 3, so the 12 some of the congregation of the disciples and said, "It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task." So Philip's one of those seven. And so Paul and Luke is staying there uh, with Philip the evangelist. Verse 9 Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as they were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. So Paul already knows this. You know, so you got these four prophetess daughters, and then you have this guy named Agabus who comes down from Judea. He takes Paul's belt and binds him with it and says, This is what's going to happen. Paul already knows this because the Holy Spirit's already been testifying to him that what awaits him there is chains. So now everybody's begging Paul, Please don't go. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not ready only to be bound but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. So Paul's like, you guys have to stop doing this, putting this emotional weight upon me. Obviously I'm prepared to not only go be in chains, but to die for the name of the Lord. And so at that point they... They stop, and the attitude moves from weeping and begging to God's will be done. So now we move on to Paul being in Jerusalem, verse 15. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to. Manassan of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing, with whom we were to lodge. And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, They began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. All right, so here's what's happened. They get to Jerusalem. They're received by the brethren. Uh, they, they run into James, who's the elder of the church. If you remember the, the last time that encounter happened, at least in Acts, it was in Acts chapter 15. We had a similar issue. There was this big debate going on. And uh, James and the rest of the church hand down this ordinance or hand down this decree saying, okay, do not burden the Gentiles with all these things. Just tell them to first, to don't participate in fornication. Don't eat things with blood and don't eat things sacrificed to idols, right? And if they do that, they'll be fine. Paul gets back to Jerusalem and he's they're telling him, look, there's been thousands of Jews converted, who have believed, but they're being told that you're telling Jews in other places among the Gentiles that they need to forsake their heritage, forsake their customs, don't circumcise your children, things like this, okay? And they're gonna give them some instruction about how to resolve this issue. Verse twenty three, therefore, do this that we will tell what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expense so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to these things which they have been told about you. But you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. Okay. So, what is this purification issue? So you've got people taking like that Nazarene vow, okay? Symbolizing total devotion to God. And since Paul had just returned from staying in Gentile lands, he would be considered ceremonially unclean. And so he needed to undergo kind of like that purification process, participating in the ceremonies. He would pay the the expense for the vows, uh, the temple ceremony, that kind of stuff, and they would shave their heads and all of that. So the instruction to Paul is, hey, do this thing, do the purification thing, and pay the vows for these guys, pay the expense for the vows these guys have taken, and you do the same thing, demonstrating that, no, you haven't forsaken the law of Moses, and you're not teaching people, teaching Jews, rather, to forsake their heritage. Now you might say, okay, so look, so here's what would happen. It's people who believe that you have to observe the law will now say, look, proof. But James is going to go on to remind us what the instruction was to the Gentiles. So pay attention. So here's what he says to Paul. Let me start over and then I'll get into the Gentile part. Verse 24, take them, purify yourself along with them, pay their expense so they may shave their heads And all will know that there is nothing to these things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. Verse 25. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided, they should abstain from meat, sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. So James makes a distinction right there. He's like, but... Let's not forget about what we decided back in Acts chapter 15 about how to handle the Gentiles. That they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication, sexual immorality. Verse 26, then Paul took them in, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was ordered or offered for each one of them. I mean, it, it's definitely interesting, right? It's interesting that you have multiple times where Paul will go do these types of things, like when he sac- when he like when he uh, circumcised Timothy, right? Because Timothy was from a Gentile parent and a Jewish parent, he didn't want people to think that he had forsaken his heritage, so they do the circumcision. But before that. We have the argument where Paul's saying, no, Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, <laughs> right? Like, you, you kind of have these two different things happening here. But salvation under one thing. It's not that the Jews had to continue in the law of Moses. It's that that was their heritage, and they, they, he wanted to distinguish that he's not telling them to abandon their heritage, right? It's pretty clear, but people will take it, and they'll get confused. Um, they'll make doctrine out of it that's just not biblical. I mean, it, the book of Acts goes out of its way more than once to make that distinction. All right, continuing on. Now Paul's going to get seized in the temple and the chains are on their way. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Triumphus and Ephesian in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought them into the temple. So you have these Jews, they're they're rallying up the crowd again. They're making false claims. That, that Paul's teaching the Jews to forsake the law and Moses and all that, which he's not. They're making claims that he's bringing Greeks into the temple, which he's not. Uh, but it doesn't matter, right? Verse 30, Then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together. Taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took along some soldiers and some centurions ty- some, some and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander, the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some were shouting another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So Paul's been beaten so bad by this multitude that he can hardly walk. Okay, they just, false claims are made, a crowd is stirred up, a mob of people just start beating Paul, undeservingly. Verse 36, for the multitude of the people kept following, them shouting, away with him. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? He said, Do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? So even the commander's confused, right? He thinks maybe Paul's this other guy that stirred up some trouble in the past. But when Paul speaks to the commander in Greek, the commander's like, Okay, you're clearly not that guy. Verse 39, but Paul said, I am a Jew of Tarsus in, Cil- in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. And I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hands. And when he was there, there was a great hush. And he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying, And that, my friends, is where <laughs> chapter 21 ends. Which is a poor place to end the chapter. How can you end a chapter with a comma instead of a period? It was a great hush, and he spoke to them, and then he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect saying, and then chapter 22 begins. And so we'll read what he had to say next week. But what I will point out is that Paul knew both Greek and Hebrew, which was very, very common. Okay, so first of all, the Greek language was the dominant language, and most people knew it, because you kind of had to know it. That's why so much is written in Greek, and so many, much of the New Testament uh, manuscripts were in Greek. They were going to Greek churches. They were going to Gentile churches, a majority of them. But the argument that Hebrew was just completely dead, which some people make, is just untrue. Not only is Paul getting ready to speak in the Hebrew dialect, there's a crowd of people who know the dialect to, to hear him speak it, right? Clearly. So, that you know, there, there's so many arguments that I hear where people are trying to make a point one way or another. And, and oftentimes what I discover is that they're both wrong. They're both wrong. It's just about trying to make a point to support your pet doctrines. All right. Well, there's Acts chapter 21. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus, if you've been blessed this morning, uh, strengthened and encouraged, and uh, hopefully you're enjoying these studies, and hopefully they're having some kind of a positive impact on your life. Can I end with just reading a commentary from Matthew Henry, uh, what he talks about, this warning and all this that Paul was getting ready to go through. Um, when we go back to the part where the prophetesses and the prophet are telling him that chains await him and everything, and he says, I would gladly die for the name of Jesus. Let me read you just a little commentary to end the podcast today from Matthew Henry. Here's what he says. He said, Paul had expressed warning of his troubles. That when they came, they might be no surprise or terror to him. The general notice given us that through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God should be of the same use to us. Their weeping began to weaken and slacken his resolution, as not our master told us to take up our cross. It was a trouble to him that they should so earnestly press him to do that in which he could not gratify them without wronging his conscience. When we see the trouble coming, it becomes us to say, not only the will of the Lord must be done, and there is no remedy. But let the will of the Lord be done, for his will is his wisdom, and he doeth all according to the counsel of it. When a trouble is come, this must ally our griefs that the will of the Lord is done. And when we see it coming, we must silence our fears that we will of the Lord shall be done, that the will of the Lord shall be done, and we ought to say, Amen, let it be done. It is honorable to be an old disciple of Jesus Christ and to have been enabled by the grace of God to continue long in a course of duty, steadfast in the faith, growing more and more experienced to a good old age. And with these old disciples, one would choose to lodge, for the multitude of their years shall teach wisdom. Many brethren at Jerusalem received Paul gladly. We think, perhaps, that if we had been among us, if if we had been if we had him among us, we should gladly receive him, but we should not, if having his doctrine, we do not gladly receive that. And that is Matthew Henry's commentary. He's saying we would like to think that we had received Paul the same way those Christians in Jerusalem did. But we'd only receive him if we had the same doctrine, which is willing to be bound, willing to die for the name of Jesus. That the, that the spreading of the gospel and the kingdom of God is more important than our own comforts. I have to wonder, would Paul be received so well in modern times? By modern Christians, by prosperity preachers and those who pervert the grace of God. By those who say, let's just get along with society. Matter of fact, let's just capitulate. Let's just embrace it. Let's just be relevant. As opposed to, here's the truth. I'm willing to die. I'm willing to be in chains. I'm willing to be beaten. I'll let you chew on that for this afternoon. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time. God bless.